Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. This is episode 305 of The Sausage Factory. Welcome! In this episode, I chat to Elliot Hudson of Blackbird Interactive about a spaceship salvage game that also has a heavy leaning on social political matters, Hard Space Shipbreaker. Yeah, if you want to know about how to break up spaceships while not trying to explode and addressing the core principles of workers' rights, then... Hard Space Shipbreaker is the game for you. This is a wonderful chat. Really, really enjoyed talking to Elliot about the design and development. This amazing game. It's been really, really popular. It's People are still talking about it. It's in early access at the moment, but it will be in full release very, very soon. But if, uh, if you can't wait and you've got a PC, to jump on it. It's awesome. Very therapeutic. So without further ado, let's listen to me from about six or seven weeks ago chatting to Elliot about Hard Space Shipbreaker. Chris, if you would be so kind. Elliot. Hi. Who are you and what do you do? Uh, I'm uh, So I'm Elliot Hudson. I'm a game designer. Um, I've been with Blackbird for about eight or nine years now, and I am currently the game director on Hard Space Shipbreaker. Which is the very game we're here going to be talking about today. But before we do, let's find out a little bit about you, Mr. 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 Elliot. So, how did you make your start making flashy, lighty video games? <laughs> um, well, I guess I've been making games. I've been messing around with games for probably decades now. I think when I was like 10 or 12, I was making Wolfenstein levels um, and then and then Doom levels and then Half-Life. And Half-Life kind of got me into coding a little bit, too, because I wanted to you know add weapons and enemies and things. So I was starting to learn how to do that. But I, I was all doing that just as for fun. And I think back then I had no idea that you could do that as a career. <clears throat> like obviously people made the games, but I, I just didn't really connect that that was a job you could do. And so I think, I think what I did in my early twenties was, um, I saw film as like a, a, a career that would let me do creative stuff, but actually get paid for it. So I went into film for quite a while. Actually, stopped playing games completely, which is kind of wild when I think back on it. Um, and I, I was an independent filmmaker for a couple of years, doing writing, directing, editing, that that kind of thing. But you know, film is a is a 
really hard industry. <laughs> like you don't know when your next project's going to come up. Um, you don't know when you're going to be able to make money. Um, and I, I was looking for something a little more, um, solid and stable and, uh, started to look back at, at games again as a thing. Um, and was starting to make games more in my free time, uh, um, than I more, more so than I was making films actually. And, and so I, I discovered that there were schools to go to, to, to make games. And so I, I picked up stakes. I was living in, in Calgary, Alberta, up in Canada, and I moved to Vancouver, uh, went to school there for game design and right out of there came and joined Blackbird, um, as a, I was a technical, uh, designer. So I was sort of this blend between game design and programming which was pretty fun. Um, and then eventually just transitioned into being full on game design. Um, and I think that's basically, that's basically how my career got started. It's fascinating, isn't it? That you genuinely thought, Oh, you can't make a living making videos. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, well, they did. I mean, they've been doing this for 40 years and, totally. um, and it's just so odd that we've got this culture of saying, well, you can't make a living. I mean, it's a nice hobby, a sideline, but it, no, no, really, really it isn't. It, and, um, yeah. It's quite interesting how the video game industry and those who, you know, enjoy playing them, uh, try to actually uphold it as a valid medium. <laughs> it's oh, yeah, I know. And it's just like, what are you doing? Like, look, we make just as much money as film. Like, stop it. Stop it. That's not a barometer you want to look at. Just look <laughs> at the medium itself and consider its own merits and let it stand on its own merits. Don't compare it to anything yeah. else. It's foolish. Yeah, 100%. In my opinion. I agree. Um, it's yeah. it's too weird. It's too adjunct to those other mediums. It, I mean, let's think of it. You have music artists, which you and I probably love and adore, but they mm -hmm. spend years, years just making an album. <laughs> That's all they're doing, making excellent music. You'd like to think, usually, maybe not the second album. You know what I mean? <laughs> but they will spend years doing on this and uh, working on this, whereas that's but one part. <laughs> Of a yeah. video game, a very, very important part. I mean, score is, I yeah, think, is 78% of the experience. People may disagree, yep. but I, I maintain that. And indeed, Kane and Rince has the Sound of Play show that's dedicated to music scores. So, yeah, it's, 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 you know, that's just one part of many, many things. You, not always, but you can have story. Not always, but some, you know, a lot yep. of the time. And then you have, you know, character development, and then you have, interaction and, the, and there's there's visual arts as well it has so it's, many of all the other mediums thrown into it to 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 compare it to the others i think is a little bit folly and we should stop doing it and let it stand in its own merits just as those did because that's how exactly. they got where they are literature yeah. was once not a thing <laughs> okay yeah that that inferiority <laughs> complex that that the games industry has yeah is is really unfortunate, and I think I think you you see it in the way that games try to emulate film all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, in ways that are you know have been successful in the past, but more and more, especially as other people are pushing the boundaries and finding the the sort of more naturalistic um, mechanics in games and stuff, um, that those film like qualities just don't they don't hold up and they don't actually sit well in this no. medium. Just embrace the medium, what it can do, and you'd yeah. be surprised. Just let go. Yeah. Honestly, and some of the best games out there are the ones who said, I don't care, just let's let go. Uh, yeah, exactly. More, more power to it. And definitely Hard Space Shipbreaker um, definitely revels in that. There's a lot of silent running in this game. I don't know if you're familiar <laughs> with that film. Oh, yeah. Of um, and, and Outland. Uh, Have you seen Outland? 
Yes. Yes. That's, that's, a, that's a. Yeah. Yeah. It's just definitely feels like late seventies sci-fi, um, early eighties, late seventies sci-fi. Um, science, mm-hmm. so as in space-bound sci-fi. Um, exactly. And, uh, but yeah, for those two films are quite iconic, and they do paint a very bleak picture of humanity. Um, it's got to be said, especially silent running. That is not a happy ending. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, um, it's that's one film I, do, I find it very difficult to watch, especially now. Very difficult to watch. But yep. yes, definitely, you know, Bruce Stern. What a what an actor. He's great. Yeah. He's always been great at playing a maniac. He's really good. At it. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, um, I'm not saying that Bruce would do very good in hard space. He'll just lose his mind too quickly. Probably. He yeah, wouldn't be. Probably. He would fail the psych evaluation very quickly. Yeah, that might be a good. That might be a good character to have, sort of <laughs> happening in the side, yeah, <laughs> in a side yeah. story somewhere. Um, listeners, if you're not familiar with the film of Silent Running, I highly recommend you go and check it out. But do it. Be prepared for some quivering chin and sobbing and then rocking mm-hmm. backwards and forwards and regressing into a fetal position and going oh god because you will <laughs> you will guaranteed so this actually leads me on to the next question which is normally a difficult or nebulous question to ask but in this case i don't think it will be because you've already hinted mm-hmm. at those two things and you already said you know historically you you know film and obviously me making reference to films you're going oh yeah i know mm-hmm. that one uh, and it's great, it's lovely, because in order to understand that art and that medium, you have to know of the, you know, the classics and what have you, and what is deemed to be important. So, the next question is, as creators of things, what do you believe, mm. as a studio, or you can indeed ask for yourself, it's entirely up to you, what mm. are your biggest influences? Uh, yeah, cool, cool question, and I, maybe I'll give you both perspectives, I'll give you the studio perspective or at least what I, what sort of I, I observe is our studio perspective. And then I'll, I, I can give you my perspective as well. I think as a studio, we, we are all heavily influenced by film. Um, I think that's like the shared experience that, that we, we use as shorthand to help communicate ideas and experiences to each other. Um, obviously things like aliens and Blade Runner, um, those are huge cultural touchstones for a lot of the stuff that Blackbird does as a studio that, that does a lot of sci-fi, <laughs> a lot of sort of uh, not a quite hard sci-fi, but sci-fi that's got a real grounding in reality. Yeah. Relatable sci-fi. And I just, one yeah. of the iconic scenes in aliens, sorry to interject, but it's definitely relevant of to what you just said is when they discover Ripley and they go and they sort of like open <laughs> up and they see the, the, the clouds yeah. um, sleep and go, Oh damn it. There goes our salvage, you know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's totally just a 100%. wonderful moment. Not oh look, we've rescued someone. It's like oh damn, you know. It's just <laughs> wonderful. So, yeah, it's just so that's, it's such a human reaction. Like hmm. I know that scene's great. I mean, we reference that scene for that aspect. Yeah. We reference it for the way it looks, for the way it tells the the introduction to the story. Um, so, yeah, that film is is just a masterclass in, yeah. in storytelling. And it's only and ten seconds. That scene is ten, yeah, it's ten seconds. It's brilliant. But I just remember it because it's just like. These people are terrible. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing. They're just like, they're so mercenary. They've rescued someone. They don't care about it. In fact, the person being there is an issue for them. It's a problem for them. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, in any other, in any other film or, you know, more and more often you'd see this now, I think the focus of that, the narrative beat there would be on Ripley. It would be yes. about how important she is. And, um, but what's great about that film is it's, 
in that moment, it's not about her. Like you no. said, it's about them and what they've lost, which I what think is lost. just an awesome touch. And also, you know, Star Trek has got a lot to answer for. <laughs> yeah, no offense, no offense to Star Trek fans, but I know that utopia future, I know is possible. Any future is possible, but you know where we're heading. Probably more like aliens and them worrying about trillions of dollars of lost money because they lost yeah. that cargo vessel. Because that's seems all. To be. We talk. Yeah, we talk about that a little bit actually. The difference between Star Star Trek and all of the other, even Star Wars, is mm. a bit grittier. Um, and we, we actually recently were talking about how it's great that Star Trek has that utopia as a vision, but what it never does is tell you how they got there. <laughs> and, and that's why I think it, it feels hard to connect to. They have attempted we we, to, but it doesn't really work. But yeah. It doesn't, right? And, and yeah. it's, it's just, it's hard to see how we get from where we are now to that. Um, yeah. Yeah. and I, and I think that's why, like you said, it's, it's kind of hard to connect with sometimes. But, just going back to the original question, answer to the question, I think we've said oh, yeah. it is that definitely your influences are for good or ill. Sorry, is yeah. is yeah. film because it's an established medium, far older than than video games. But uh, and it's a great, yeah. you know, once you get the, you have to latch on to. It sounds like to me, they latch on to the key scenes, not the whole, but just these key little yeah. building blocks of scenes, and they just like resonate. The resonating scenes. Yeah, that are exactly. relevant to this. Yeah, we actually have a we have a shrine to Ripley uh, in our in our office. We have a portrait of Sigourney Weaver and a plaque there and everything. And, and she's the patron saint of the studio. Um, so that's that's how much that's how how important that reference is for us. Um, yeah. But we also you know outside of film, like obviously Shipbreaker itself was heavily inspired by um, the real world act of shipbreaking. I don't know how familiar you are with that. If you've ever seen that footage of them breaking ships. Um, I've only like, ever yeah. seen. I had a sort of fascination with like rivets and how they were put in. Mm-hmm. In fact, that they are just lumps of molten metal that they <laughs> hammered into place. And yeah. they, you know, bolts rip like like the concept of bolts is a relatively recent invention, believe it or not. People don't know this. Like threaded bolts, yeah, it didn't exist until the fifties. Yeah, <laughs> Globs of hot metal. Globs of hot metal. That's all they did, yeah. and then they would actually yeah. throw them into place, and it's terrifying, yeah. terrifying. But yeah, that's the closest yeah. I've encountered it. But no, so they do they unzip them? Is that the idea? Is that what happens? Or well, it's it's, it's kind of it's kind of nuts. So this is why we're mm. so fa- we've always been so fascinated with it. Is that they right. they just take these like old tankers and old cruise ships, things that have reached the end of their life cycle, yeah, yeah. and they just they just drive them right up onto the beach on these these places in India. This all happens kind of like outside of our perspective as a first world country. That's why most people don't know that it exists. But these ships get beached there, and then literally like hundreds of people with no protective gear, basically wearing like rags and and like uh, no no gas masks or anything, go on there with blowtorches, and and they just start carving this thing into pieces and extracting all of the recyclable materials to sell. Um, and it takes it takes forever because these things are monstrous and it's incredibly hazardous because there's there's still fuel in the in the fuel tanks you know vapors and stuff and there's chemicals all over the place you can get crushed by these these massive tons of metal um there's like almost no regulation uh which is horrible that is just you mean everyone rocks around thinking oh when they say scuttle the ship oh that's that's all done in a controlled manner right no No. <laughs> should be <laughs> no not it when really, you yeah. it should be but not yeah not when you want to try to extract as much value out of that ship as possible you sort of mm. then you send it off to these these poor people to, to do to do that um and so there's this 
there's this dichotomy there where the the act of salvaging this thing, you if you look at it from a distance and you see this half-eaten ship basically sitting on a beach, and then a bunch of dudes look low torches just sort of peeling down the sides, and then a massive hunk of ship slowly collapses onto the sand and kicks up this huge gust of of dust and sand. It looks awe-inspiring. Um, but then when you actually learn about how it's done and how um, how poorly the people are treated and how dangerous it is, um, there's an interesting human element to it that mm. and that we wanted to explore. And so that's that's where the, the biggest influence for Shipbreaker came from. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Wow. But yeah, but all all of that like heavy industry stuff is is also a big influence of Blackbird. Like big you know big construction vehicles. We love we love gigantic. Machines, um, anything that's like super industrial and heavy is another big influence for us. And what's lovely is that the scale of things people don't realize is that they that people are not the scale of things. It, it's exponential. Like when things mm-hmm. start to get big, it's not a linear sort of like oh, just due to gravity and physics or what have you. The actual elements and things yeah. become massive in order yeah. for it to actually stay up. You know, in order to, yeah. fact, to function, there's like all the, the, the structure of the element itself is like the bigger it gets, it, the more ridiculous everything becomes. And yeah, all of a sudden exactly. the bolts go from like, you know, half <laughs> a centimeter right up to like the size of your head, you know, and that's yeah. just one of the minor it's, bolts, you know, it's just. It's wild. It is. Yeah, I mean, nice. so we're like, we're working on Homeworld 3 right now. I don't know if you've played any of the Homeworld games, but. Absolutely, yes. I, I yeah. adored them back in the day. One of my favorite RTSs, even though it wasn't quite 3D, it should have been. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but, the, but they've got the, you know, the mothership in that game, mm-hmm. your, your sort of mobile base. Yes. That thing's, I think, two kilometers long. Like, it's yes. gigantic. It is, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, I love yeah, the we, shape we, of it as well. It's this big wing, yeah. isn't it? It's just, when it appears. It's beautiful jumped into space and every time every jump you just go now what as my my every yeah. every new level every new area environment was now what yeah exactly <laughs> exactly wonderful i love trying to actually death from above try to get ships dropping in from but it is so difficult to manage yeah. the 2d plane of that game the original was yep. kept very strict but i know they've done lots of updates over recent years and uh and there's that other one that's based on that Karnath, is that something? It's just on a, on a, on a planet. Um, yeah. But, um, it's a Karak, yeah, our, our, our yeah. people game that we made, yeah. 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 So anyways, that, those, are, those are like where we get inspiration as a studio, mostly film, some like real-world industrial, like yeah. heavy industrial stuff. Um, me personally, I, I film, of course, mm. um, like as we've talked about, um, I actually am not super inspired usually by other games. I, I don't even have much time to play games these days. Understood. Um, yeah, unfortunately. But I'm I'm much more inspired by you know reading, especially nonfiction stuff. Typically, I'll read something that describes an experience or a dynamic that I think is really interesting, and I think, oh, I'd love to figure out how to turn this into an interactive experience for somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, that's typically where I get my influences from, though, you know, when I was younger and I actually did play games, it was like Marathon on on the Mac was a huge influence for me. You know, pre-Halo, uh, Bungie was was doing that incredible series of games. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And then System Shock 2 and, and basically every immersive sim that's come after that has been a huge influence for me. Um, we talk about Shipbreaker feeling like a simulation game. I, I approach it as an immersive sim 
game. It's it, to me, it's part of that genre. Yeah. Um, Shadow Colossus, I think, was a, a groundbreaking game. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the, the only game that actually asked the question, "What are you doing? What? Yeah. What are you doing?" Yeah. yeah. In terms of narrative, I think it's wonderful, isn't it? Just never up until then. I don't remember a time when the 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 game asked the question of the player. I'm sorry, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. I think I think Shadow Colossus is is a turning point for narrative design because I think it's the it's the first game that really, like you said, melds the the core narrative question and thematic question of the game into the mechanics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you carry on anyway because reasons. Because reasons, anymore. exactly. Yeah, can't. Yeah. I, I don't want to go in because I know it's an old game, but people still haven't played it. It's definitely, it's one of those games that lie on lots of people's piles of stuff I need to do. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, I really need to read the Iliad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> some of uh, it's yeah. a bit, but you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Or some Dickens, not the usual suspects either, the, 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 the more esoteric <laughs> stuff he did. So, see, I've gone into literature there. There you go. Next question, exactly. and this one, some developers find it difficult to answer because they don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, and when you, you'll know why when I ask it. Here it is. What developer do you most admire in the industry and why? Um, yeah, interesting. I think, you know, when I was younger, it was some of the bigger mm-hmm. AAA houses. Um, yeah. For a long time, I admired Irrational Games. Um, right. when they were making Bioshock and, and Infinite. Obviously, they don't really exist. There's there's something different now, and we haven't seen yet what they're going to do. Um, more and more, I'm admiring, I think, the smaller houses, the smaller indie teams, or even the individual developers. Um, people at, like Fulbright, the you know Stephen Carla at Fulbright, and the you know Gone Home, I thought was brilliant, I, and I thought Tacoma was a, an awesome expansion of those ideas and mechanics. Um, uh, the Campo Santo folks obviously they're they're part of valve now but maybe we'll see more from them specifically in the future um finji i think is doing really cool stuff both in terms of the games they develop and and who they they bring on as partners and just honestly like hundreds hundreds and hundreds of individual developers that i follow on on twitter um oh it's me too me too i've done a thing oh look look this works i love those it's like exactly yeah it works anyone anyone who's sharing processes and ideas for how to make games better and more innovative yeah i I, you know those people i admire a lot those people who are really open about the the process um and again not just making the games better but also making how we make games better yeah like i I think the industry is still struggling with Mm. crunch and poor project planning and etc um and it's really cool to see really thoughtful people share opinions on how to how to start correcting some of that stuff i'm Um, really enjoying the sort of like realization that long hours does not equal hard work (laughs) yeah not at all (laughs) it doesn't it doesn't it really doesn't that culture is still pervasive and it's still very strong but it's weakening by the day happily to say because you know when when some people sort of exert that that opinion they get a lot of pushback it's really good to see because it's not doing anyone's mental health any good you know it's not at all I don't know, and it's not sustainable. It will not be. It will not be a long-term sustainable thing, especially as game projects get bigger and bigger and require more people and more money. It will collapse eventually, and, and yeah. you know, hopefully, we start to see more unionization and things happening because I think that'll help a lot. Yeah, yeah, but fantastic response to that. Like I said, you can see why people go. Oh, I don't want to miss. Oh, basically, I don't want to miss anyone. Yes. I don't want to forget anyone. Totally, it's, it's lovely, isn't it? But your 
tipping your hat, going, look, if you're doing good, you're you're awesome on my book, and you're, you're right, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, it doesn't matter what you're doing. It's just uh, just keep cracking at it. It's good. Yeah. Final question of the first half. Here we go. Wow. And this is okay. something I have to ask because this is a podcast about video games. <laughs> <laughs> the question is, and again, I know you're busy right now, but what are you yeah. playing right now? Uh, so the the small amount of time that I do get to play, right now I'm playing um, Paradise Killer, mm. and it's fantastic. Um, I, I don't know if you're – are you familiar with it? I do. A lot of people keep pointing at me, Chris, you need to play this. But yeah. kind of kind of distracted with other shiny things, but I will get round to it. But you, it's yeah, it's got a cool it visual style. So yeah. it's it's kind of like if you played if you played Oberdin, it's kind of like if Oberdin uh, was crossed with a, a Japanese visual novel in a in a vaporwave aesthetic. So oh, it's nice. it's, a, it's this cool detective game. It's got kind of an open a, a small scale but open world environment to explore and gather clues, um, people to meet, characters to learn about and and interact with, and then eventually you get to sort of decide who you believe the perpetrator is of this crime. But it's just got a, a, a really cool mechanics for for gathering and, and deducing information, and then plus these weird like platforming elements as if you were collecting stars in, in Super Mario or something. And it's, I just love it, and visually it's super cool. Um, so that one's been really fun. And I'm also playing another Vaporwave game uh, called Broken Reality, okay. which is just an exploration through a bizarre broken computer world basically <laughs> it's like being in the in in reboot but everything's all glitchy right um okay. yeah, so that one's rad but then aside from that i pick like one big triple a game to play every once in a while and right now i'm super deep into assassin's creed odyssey mm-hmm. um which i've never played any of the assassin's creed games and i'm i'm glad that it, that i'm diving into this one because i think from what i understand they changed their combat system uh for their origins um and it's this much more fluid and, and kind of like uh, Batman Arkham Asylum-esque combat system now. Uh, yeah. So it's really fun to play. And it's got, of, of course, all of the Ubisoft um, you know, side mission bonanza, which is great for someone who has attention deficit sort of like me. I just have a billion things I could be doing at once, and it's, it's just keeping me going. So that one's, that one's great. I'm really enjoying that one. does give as much as you put into it. It's an extraordinary yeah. game. does this, like... And it is beautiful. It it's gorgeous. Is. The it landscapes really are amazing. And, and you know, I actually really like the story. Like, I, I find the Greek setting um, amazing. And they've obviously done a lot of historical research. And then finding a way to weave in mythology and stuff, too, is just fun. Super fun. I really, I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, it seems to be working for Supergiant as well at the moment. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and also that's the other one that I'm playing is I just started on Hades because everyone was talking about how great yeah. it was. Yeah, uh, and it is great. <laughs> it is. They've done a yeah. rogue like well, which is not easy. Yep. There's a lot of them out there, and uh, they've done yep. it like yeah. It's they've actually made it a conceit of the game to the point where the character makes comment on it. You know, yep. it's uh, it's wonderful. Exactly. Um, but that's them all over, isn't it? Really. <laughs> it, it's, totally. They just perfect everything that they come along with. Yeah. So it's, yeah. they they even made a sports game and turn it into an RPG. I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> shocking. Shocking Super behavior. Sorry. Anyway, here we are. First half. See, you, you, you made it. Well done. We made it. Let's move on to, to the second half of the show where we delve deep. Or is that fly out into outer space? I'm not sure. Into hard space, Shipbreaker.
before we do this, we need to get our framework properly and what we understand it to be. So, in your own words, what do you believe Hard Space Shipbreaker is? So, I mean, at its core, Shipbreaker is um, a zero G starship salvage game. So, your you know, your job is to go into these derelict ships and tear them apart and gather as much reusable material from them as possible. But that job is incredibly dangerous. There is fuel running through the ships, power, coolant, lots of things and lots of ways for you to to mess up and die. But that's fine because the company that you work for owns your DNA and they will just reclone you and throw you right back into the yard for a fee. Um, and so the, this it's this game about this very repeatable loop of taking the ships down from from 100% to 0%, um, but also wrapping this social commentary about uh, capitalism and and where the world might be heading if if we don't check that beast of of uh, greed and money um, in the future. Yeah, I did like the disclaimer when you signed it off, and there's lots of like normal things at the beginning, and it starts to degenerate into you will vote for this person when you. Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, what's, that, what's that about? It's like you won't join the trade union. What? Wait, what? Like it's just yeah, pretty yeah. grim stuff. Um, when I started flying around, uh, and you do float around, as I say, float. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's float. You are, yeah, you're on the orbit, aren't you? So, um, but it is zero G, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, let's not go into the always falling thing. Let's not do that. Uh, <laughs> um, but um, the point is, I found I just regressed basically to when I was playing Outer Wilds uh, uh, in order yeah. to control myself or indeed the crazy half-fast ship that you have in Outer Wilds, um, which is made out of bits of timber and a, a, a glass sort of bobble thing uh, and uh, that made me smile immediately because that game is one of my favourites from last year um, it's great yeah. yeah it's a magnificent piece of commentary on not not so much humans because you're not human but universe itself I'm not going to say mm. anything more because fear of spoiling it I'm not sure if you finished it at all uh, did, did you finish it a little I, have, I haven't finished it I, I, I have played it a bit but I have not yet finished it that's okay. another one I need to get back to you're not going to say anymore other than it does uh, mm-hmm. it asks a very very important question and attempts mm. to answer it mm. that's cool. all I'm going to say yeah. um, but for me the control I just immediately muscle memory went oh I know so the key the key to zero G movement is being able to stop yep that's yep. it once you, yeah once you learn that you're, you're good just like if you're finding yourself, and we'll come on to that later on in a later question. But mm. cool, you did it very well, by the way. Um, oh, thank you. Methodical thinking, yes, is something that is key to being successful in hard space shipbreaker. Yeah. How do you believe you advise this to the player? How do you advertise this fact? What do you? What do you? Without actually saying it outright because it's a bit dry and it's difficult. Not a lot of people will know what it means. What do you believe you do in a design of Hard Space Shipbreaker to encourage methodical thinking? Um, Yeah, excellent question. And I think there's, because we're in early access, I think there's more that we want to do uh, on top of of what we're doing as we sort of see where people are understanding that and not understanding that. So I I think there's, it'll change and I think we'll, we'll expand on it. But a lot of the way just that the game is structured with very little in terms of a step-by-step 
um, objective system or anything like that. Basically, here's a ship, here's a huge chunk of time, and here's a, you know a handful of specific items we want you to get out of it. The rest is up to you. Um, that open-endedness coupled with giving you tools that give you all the information you need, things like your scanner that shows you how the ship is structured exactly, where all of those hazards are running through it, where all those specific objects are inside of it. Um, those things lend itself to allowing players to build their own process, their own methodical process for um, building a strategy for how to take that ship apart. And, and we try to build up the complexity of the ships. You know, you start with ships that don't have any of those hazards in them, and then you move on to ships that introduce a few. So you sort of learn how to do with the structural stuff first on a really small scale. Then we throw in a few more, you know, complications and slowly build up your, your skill set as a salvager. Um, and I think, like I said, there's more we could do there to encourage, um, players, if, you know, for example, dealing with the hazards first. Uh, you know, maybe there's some tutorialization we could do there or some voiceover work we could do there to help explain that stuff. But I think people seem to get it, especially especially the fact that, you know, failing is not a uh, big consequence because you can just respawn right away, get yourself another ship, and try again. I think the combination of all those things help lend itself to that methodical thinking. Yeah. The, um, you know, the Super Meat Boy refresh at a cost. <laughs> That's yeah. what I call it. When, whenever game, <laughs> whenever game switches on, you know, you die and immediately reappear. I call it Super Meat Boy influence because that's what that game did. Exactly. I know that other games did it before. I know, but that game specifically was anchored around that concept. Oh, you failed. Here's another go. <laughs> yeah, as, as quickly as possible, right? That's yeah, that, and that's yeah. the important part. Yeah, that's the important Agreed. part. Yes, there should be some punitive elements of you otherwise, uh, but other than that, yeah, it's uh, and I. I, I you know, learning by both failure and success. Yeah. And that's something exactly. that um, Hard Space that Shipbreaker really revels in is learning by success. People don't talk about that enough often enough. They always bang on about, you know, failure. But actually, hang on. What about yeah. when you do something that actually pulls it off? When you going to do that again? Because that's what it, because it works. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's quite interesting. Yeah, humans love to. Of course. Yeah. I mean, we, negative. we talk, we talk about that as the carrot and the stick, right? The, yeah. the, the stick is, is the, usually the, the most obvious thing is to think people both see, see the, they recognize it the best as from a player perspective. And as a designer, you, you often gravitate towards the stick because it's the most clear way to implement and, and shape behavior. But carrots are, if, if, if anything, more powerful, more powerful yeah. at shaping player yeah. behavior. Um, they can be harder to figure out how to implement. They're not as obvious most of the time. Mm. But like you said, rewarding success is an, an extremely powerful yep. way to shape behavior. The sense of danger in uh, hard space, Shipbreaker, is extremely prevalent. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's constantly there. It's just you and the void and mm-hmm. this ship and some very, very dangerous equipment, which does overheat and set itself on fire if you're not careful. <laughs> it sounds like we've already spoken about this earlier on in the show, but let's expand, expand on it a bit on it. Um, was this always an original design component? Was this always a design intent to actually throw the player into imminent doom constantly? <laughs> was that always a thing that you felt that, if anything, Hard Space Shipbreaker must, must embrace? Yeah, actually, it, it was, though. It, it, it was manifested in different forms throughout the, the course of the project. Um, 
there, we've talked about this in a few places. We actually, I did a talk at GDC with our, our creative director, Rory McGuire, about where Shipbreaker started as a, as a game jam game, actually, at the studio, a, a one-week game jam game, <clears throat> and then eventually grew into the game that it is now um, and the creative steps that we took along the way there. And when we, when we made that game jam game, what we, were, what we were doing was trying to recreate the scenes from Gravity, the movie Gravity, where Sandra Bullock is you know, clambering along the outside of a damaged space station, trying to complete a task, and then the next round of debris hits, and it's just chaos, and she's trying to trying desperately to not be flung out into the void of space. So that was the that was the game that we made. And it was that's all it was. It was just about traverse this debris, try not to get flung into space, which happened a lot. Um and, and so there was this threat about everything you were doing. That if you missed a grab, if you used your grappling correctly, you would you would fail and you'd be lost forever. Um and it was all about the 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 emptiness of the vacuum and the void. Mm. Um so when we shifted to being more about shipbreaking um, and being in a in a fixed location that has boundaries to it, uh, that's less of a threat, right? Being flung out in space is like, it, it can happen in shipbreaker. You can get blown out by an explosion, and then if you go too far, links <laughs> they're like, you know what, you're fired, <laughs> you're terminated, yeah, you, yeah, left the, yeah. you left the work site. Um, yeah. We're gonna make a new clone. Um, but it doesn't happen as often as it did in the original Game Jam, and so we we missed that sense of doom, that that sort of tension that was always kind of there, and that's mm. that's when we started to roll in much more of the the hazards and stuff, which it fit thematically because again we were trying to we were trying to provide insight into the real world ship breaking, which is extremely dangerous all the time. Yeah, and it's the um, hazard pay is, I mean, the fact <laughs> yeah. you're in debt to a billion credit and thing uh <laughs> just yeah. adds to that but it's just like oh you know yeah i'm gonna i'm chipping away at this debt here which i've uh, accrued somehow but yeah. hey the, the, the danger money is great it's like that typical trite <laughs> thing like hey it's double pay like so yeah. i'll just maybe triple <laughs> i mean yeah. it's just it's the, yeah. the whole it's it, this whole mismatch the whole terrible balance of the injustice of it all it just yeah. doesn't make any sense yeah. i mean quite frankly the people doing this should be highly trained and if they were they'd do it half the time and i mean it no deaths, be, you know it should probably be robots exactly. <laughs> right like, oh, yeah. like it's, yeah. it's it's pretty wild that they they are grabbing people to do this indeed yeah, yeah. but uh yeah. It's easier to for a human to with its own sort of exactly. uh, brain thing rather than exactly. trying to program a robot that then programs another robot and programs yeah. another robot and then you get you know errors and drift etc. <laughs> totally. But Next I, question. I, I, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, if you want to expand on this further, but it's just, I want to ask about the risk reward model, which is yeah, related to what we're thinking. So I believe in Hull Space Shipbreaker. The, the risk reward model is very transparent. It's quite in your face, constantly. I mean, the only reason you're doing all of this work is to actually earn credits against the vast debt you've accrued. And uh, it seems to be the primary component of the actual, um, how can I put it, purpose of why you're mm -hmm. playing the game. Was this always intentional or has it just evolved into that? Um, yeah, good question. I mean, I think, yeah, I think it, I think it was pretty intentional from pretty early on. Again, when we when we shifted to being about ship breaking, um, that, I mean, that was one of the first questions we were trying to to answer: is how do you reward? What what are the rewards for ship breaking? Because um, in the real world, the, the rewards are are not 
great for for those people. Um, and obviously, we want to reflect that, but also still have it feel satisfying to the player. Um, and I think we're we've settled on what is a pretty uh, like you said, it's pretty transparent, but it's it's pretty solid. Like it, it works. Um, and we'll probably expand on that in the future and, and provide more like story rewards, those kinds of things to help, to help you feel like you're, you're learning more about the world. Yeah. Um, but it, yeah, we settled on that, that loop pretty early that it would be, you know, the credits that you're getting for salvaging, um, and how that informs your, your moment to moment decision making about what you're going to salvage, what you're going to let get destroyed, et cetera. Um, that just seemed to work. Uh, that just clicked pretty early thematically and, and mechanically. Yeah, it just really fits in with the 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 whole ethos of look, you're in this world, you live in, live in it. It's not great. Going to make yeah. the best out of what you've got. I mean, how often have we read those novels or seen those films where this world's terrible, but these people are making the best out of what they've got, uh, even if it's next to nothing. And uh, this the situation here is you actually got less than nothing. You've actually got negative. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, by, by a number, and that number's always there. I love the fact that that's what made me feel this is so transparent because that number is always on your screen, and it's just great. Just, yeah. just there, telling you, you know, why you're indebted to this terrible company, um, <laughs> which some reason lamed itself after an animal which probably uh, extinct on a, a ravaged planet. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, most people are going. So what is a lynx? Oh, it used to be a yeah, creature. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Last question then. Yeah. Here we go. And we've spoken about this. We hinted at it already, but we need to go into this quite heavily because it's it's something that's been attempted many times. And I think with Hot Space Shipbreaker, it's been done quite well. But I want to expand on how you did it and how you pulled it off. So zero gravity controls are really, I believe, hard to model in video mm-hmm. games. I mean, they've been trying to do it since Lunalander, for heaven's sake. You know, it's been 50 <laughs> years. Yeah. Uh, it's one of my favourite older, old kinds. Like, Asteroids is one of my favourites as well, for reasons. Um, and uh, how have you found developing that aspect mm. of Hard Space Shipbreaker? And uh, the need, basically, my summary of it is, there's a need to emphasise that small movements often mm-hmm. lead to very, very large ones. Mm-hmm. Very, very large movements that aren't welcome. <laughs> yep. How do you? How have you found modelling this without uh, turning it into a complete cluster F? <laughs> um, brutally hard, I would say. Mm. Um, or, or rather, like it was one of the key design challenges that we have been going over for the entire four-year development of this project. And the way that it was implemented, the amount of control that we gave you the feedback that we gave you about what was happening, all of that got iterated on dozens of times. Um, And we've settled on this model that is uh, semi-Newtonian. Like, you know, you you put an input in, you you continue in that direction for a while, even if you're not thrusting that direction anymore. But then we we add some subtle um, assistance to that. So you, you will slow down eventually. You will stop eventually. And we also give you very powerful braking mechanism um, so that you have a lot of control over that Newtonian movement. But it's still kind of there. And that was a really important uh, decision. It it was a really hard decision to make because we loved the Newtonian aspect of it. That was was a key part of the original Game Jam where 
if you weren't controlling your thrust very well, you would fly off into space, right? That was part of that that skill set that would lead to that impending doom. Um, but it was really hard for players to to play the game, um, and we we were we wanted people to be able to feel like they could get into these ships and salvage them and aim their cutter correctly and not worry about drifting out of alignment. And so that's where we introduced those those assistance mechanisms. Um, yeah, like you said, you would have been flying off into space otherwise all the time because that's yeah. how it actually works. You could sort of maybe yeah. add a little bit of conceit saying, "Oh yeah, these you just got inertial dampeners in your in your suit, so you don't go flying off." Oh, what? Just just hand wave it. It's fine. Exactly. Don't yeah. don't worry about it. Yeah, and and you know some players have, some players have have actually asked us to turn off the assists, like or or at least have the option to turn off the assists, and that, that you know maybe we'll give that for for some of the more hardcore players that want the the full true Newtonian physics without yeah. those assistance uh, aspects. But for most players, it's, it's, it's it seems to be a, a good balance. Um, and the amount like we we toyed with feedback too, like we had like a gyroscope that showed your orientation and where you were thrusting and stuff like that. But we found it just wasn't as necessary. Um, there's, there is subtle feedback in when you're moving around, there's little dust particles and they actually stretch a little bit in the direction that you're, that you're thrusting in. And that seems to be enough for people to understand what's happening. The dust particles make sense because you are tearing ships apart and they would, mm-hmm. you're not going to do clean cuts. You'd want to, mm-hmm. considering the equipment you're using, you're not going to get them. So there's going to be lots and lots of bits of particles flying around. Yeah, exactly. As you as you tear this stuff apart, so it makes sense. It really does. Uh, and um, I think the fact that the the sound of breathing is pretty good. It's not too loud. It's definitely mm-hmm. there, but that's mm-hmm. mainly the sound you would typically hear. And any vibration yeah. that goes through your suit is great. It's really good. But like I said, I just regressed to Outer Wilds to remember what that was like. And uh, when you got out of the ship and. Right, okay, I've got, I've got this. I've got this. There's some, <laughs> there's some really, really hairy moments in that game, and for me, it put great training in for Hard Space Shipbreaker. Um, Perfect. Minus the stuff that I can't talk about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the 22 minute thing, I can say. You know, every 22 minutes, you then die and start again. Yeah. Again. Yeah. You know, and then you did stuff. But like I said, it just brought back lots of uh, memories of that, and it just helped me like. Knowing that whenever I was in trouble on that game, all I had to do was stop. Yeah. Just stop. Just to yeah. stop thrusters. And then once you stop, we go, now I've got, now I've got a point of datum somewhere I can work from. That's the key. Yeah. You just exactly. get a, a, a baseline. Like, okay, I'm spinning out of control. I can't get to this thing. I need to cut this at this angle. Can't get to it. I'll keep on floating around. Stop. <laughs> stop. And then, we, then, then you just reset and then you go, now I'm there. But yeah, I mean, we, so, we, yeah. we, we make that a really big part of the tutorial is, is learning yeah. how to break. <clears throat> Cause, uh, you know, for you who has experience with other zero G controls, it's yeah. relatively easy to slip in. But for yeah. most people who are coming from just a regular first person shooter background, it's, re- it's a real struggle to learn the, the zero G movement. And we were really worried that it would just, players would just bounce off left, right, and center. Mm-hmm. Um, but as long, we found as long as you teach them that emergency break, uh, button, People are usually fine. Yeah. From there, pressing the two down, mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. Stuff. Thank you. Although when I was doing that, I was reminded of myself because I just repaired an Xbox One controller. Because rather than uh, replace yeah. it, <laughs> yeah, I decided to repair it. Not for the faint of heart, everyone. Do you have a soldering iron? <laughs> <laughs> it's not a simple. You have to actually get into yeah. the gubbins of it and rip it out and then resolder it. Uh, 
Yeah, oh, brutal. Yeah, yeah it's easy. brutal. But it's, it was only five pounds, which is about I don't know. That's way better than dollars or something. So yeah. that's like a tenth of the cost of a controller. So as long as you've got an hour of time, now to use a soldering iron <laughs> and a desoldering iron, you're, you're fine. You're golden. You're golden. <laughs> anyway, Hard Space Shipbreaker, developed by Blackbird Interactive. By the way, what's the name come from? Do you know? A uh, Blackbird. Mm. Is Blackbird Interactive? The name comes from the Blackbird Jet. Um, that was created, the supersonic jet. Um, I can't remember when that was made a, a while back, but uh, it was like a secret project of the U.S. government. Super fast, looks like a, a really beautiful machine. Um, <clears throat> that's where the that's where the name comes from. Excellent. I love asking that question because we get all sorts of interesting names, as you of can course. imagine. Yeah. Uh, and it's also published by uh, Focus Home Interactive, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, it's out now currently on early access for Windows PC. Yes. Correct. On Steam, yeah. And, and there are, I'm assuming there's going to be plans for it to appearing on other platforms once it's done. That's normally yeah. what happens. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Other yeah, platforms, meantime, consoles, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Interesting time for consoles. Oh, oh yes. man. Yeah. yeah, you're telling me. <laughs> I know. And the answer the unanswered question, yes, I did manage to pre-order both. I have to oh, wow. get to the job. Oh, yeah, yeah. Nicely done. Uh, but I, uh, I don't do online. I either go to stores. And, uh, oh, that way, smart. Yeah, so I just went over to my to my local game store they call them over here and uh, you know what they are and the same with GameStop and just queued up at, I got up at 6am queued up at 7am for an hour <laughs> and then they opened at 8 I was just listening to podcasts and you know just chilling yeah. out and, yeah, time. and, then, and then, then rocked in and pre-ordered Smart. and paid a deposit and yeah. what's really great about that is on the midnight on the night before it comes out I go and pick it up oh wow Brilliant. See, it's just like, I don't have to wait wow, for you any won, delivery person. I'll you won at that me. game. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, I'm going to get it early. I'm going to be there. I guess that's, I did it with the, you know, I did it. I've been doing that since PlayStation 2 days. Just, that's the the old-fashioned method. Yeah. Just, <laughs> it works. Just do it. It works. <laughs> and everyone's yelling, oh, I'm pre-ordering, like, you go to the store. <laughs> go, 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 go to the store. Yeah. Yeah. And again, that that no stress at all. It's just walking in, paying deposit, walking out again. Job's done. Right. I wish but, I'd done that. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it got me. I got a lot bit of exercise early in the morning, which is lovely. You know. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, Elliot, it's been wonderful having you on the show. Oh, thanks, Chris. I I enjoyed this talk a lot. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad you did. You're more than welcome to come back because uh, we've had a lot of repeat guests. This could be going oh. on for so long. And uh, we actually had Inkle on recently. Talking oh, about yeah. Pen, talking about Pendragon. And they've oh, been on nice. three times now. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. So, again, we, we, we and it does mean you skip the first half because, you know, <laughs> you've already answered that. Excellent. And, so you just get uh, into the meat of it. You get into the meat of it and it actually becomes a much sort of longer section. It's lovely. But okay. it's, uh, that would be great. I'd love to, to. I'd love to do that again. If you know, further in, into early access, that would be fantastic. Yeah, we could definitely come back. We have done that when it's actually finished and go. Okay, what's changed and what have you yeah. asked and where have you gone with this and have you ended up asking people to break up not only a small ship but a large sort of like capital mm-hmm. vessel for reasons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm I'm shooting out of the you know you know. Anyway, this ship looks like from elite. Well, yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. <laughs> Bit of crossover. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Anything could happen. Yeah, anything could happen. Anyway, again, Elliot, thank you so much for being on the show. Well, thank you, Chris. You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. 
Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash cane and rinse for early, extended, and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube, and at our website, caneandrinse.com. Thank you.